Welcome to the Talking Black Art Podcast. I am one half of the crew, Derek Allsweed. Joining me today, as always, is Mr. Corey Hunt. Today we get into a new film, Spike Lee's The Five Bloods. This will be a two-parter. I loved going back and editing this episode. A reminder for all listeners that this was recorded in the summer of 2020 during the heart of the pandemic and the Black Lives Matter protest movement. We will publish part two next week, and that will conclude the first season of Talking Black Art. Season two will follow shortly after, where it looks like we're going to branch out of film and start getting into some albums, so we're excited about that. Uh, The Five Bloods was a brand new film at the time of this recording, and one of its stars was on a great ascent. Chadwick Boseman passed away weeks after we recorded this, and that coupled with the release of the Black Panther 2 trailer today, makes for some pretty emotional moments. Without further ado, here is Spike Lee's The Five Bloods. What's your first Spike Lee memory? I'm assuming it was Do the Right Thing. We were, we were nine when that came out. Do you remember watching that movie when you were little? Oh, I do. Um, first memory, though would be that Jordan commercial. That's kind of my first really like when so I think Mark of Spike Black. Lee's. Yeah, it's gotta be the shoes, gotta be the shoes. Yeah, that, yeah. that really, and like that kind of stuff sticks in my head more too than than actual movies. I've seen so many over the years that it's kind of like bleeds together a little bit. That, uh, yeah, that character Mars Blackman came from She's Gotta Have It, which was his first movie, Do the Right Thing. I mean, what were your, I mean, what are your memories of, of that movie when it came out, anything profound? Mostly just, the colorfulness and it in hindsight it was really kind of uh empowering and self you know give you as as a black person young black person in america dealing with all that and the the subconscious type things thrown into you through media as far as eurocentric beauty and all that right it really kind of helped counter that and make you be like oh wait a minute no we're actually kind of cool that's what kind of really i remember out of it more than anything it's just that energy of just being like actually no we're and and when i look at it from from like today it seems like kind of a pendulum swing too away from you know what i mean like rock and roll kind of type that's what that's what's hot swinging over to to the hip-hop right yeah, I mean, well, well uh, Spike also directed Public Enemies' uh, mm-hmm. Fight the Power video. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what year that was? 8990? No, that sounds right. Yeah, I yeah. was just wondering if you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, that movie felt like something that had never been done before. Mm. I mean, obviously, this is based off of kind of research of films before it, once, once people, we became adults. But um, yeah, just, I mean, I think Spike. Starting with do the right thing just became this incredibly important person in in society in American society. Um, he has a really uh, interesting variety of films that he's made as well, um, with different looks, different different narratives. Um, most of them are around black culture. Yeah, I don't remember watching um, do the right thing when I was little much at all. Um, somehow missed me. Like I think the first the first movie black movie for me that. They really hit was Boys in the Hood. Okay. And then when you had you had the Boys in the Hood and Miss Society kind of back to back and um, 
Above the Rim kind of missed me a little bit too. I mean, what are oh snap? What are some other movies from when you were when you age? say that it kind of reminds me of the idea Juice. that when when around that time is when I started really absorbing yeah. movies at a more deeper level. Right. You know what I mean? Where those other movies you're talking about is kind of like I was a, I was there, yeah. but I didn't really know what was going on type of thing. And I can look in hindsight and be like, oh, this, that, and the third. But uh, once you start getting to Boys in the Hood, then it's like my my comprehension level is, is up. And, right. and interesting situation is I lived in that neighborhood. I grew up in South Central. And so like Menace to Society, Boys in the Hood, that was literally, we'd see them shooting in our neighborhood, places that I walked by and things of that nature. And so it was interesting. Um, living there in the moment, it was just kind of like, oh, we're on TV type of situation, yeah. you know what I mean? And then looking <laughs> back, it's like, dang, man, it was crazy lived, that I lived in that situation, you know what I mean? Because it was it was fairly authentic. It was pretty dangerous out there. But when you live out there, or for me personally, when I was living out there, partially because I was really young as well, it didn't really feel as dangerous as, it, as I look at it now and hmm. see it to be, you know? Interesting. Interesting. Uh... Yeah, those two movies coincided with um, Dr. Dre's The Chronic and then mm. the, uh, the the Rodney King uh, riots. Um, all those things were right around that same one, two, two year span, which mm-hmm. was just such a powerful time. Um, and yeah, as a kid that age, as you, like you're saying, I mean, that is when your brain really starts to work and like you're your most impressionable. You can have intelligent thoughts, really. Um, but uh, yeah, I think Spike kind of started with Do the Right Thing. Um, kind of opened it because you know you got to look at it from the business side of Hollywood too mm-hmm. so like that's the point is like <laughs> you couldn't get a black movie made with a black director it just like didn't happen I mean was Spike Lee literally the first Hollywood black director I didn't look that up but. no I don't think so but <laughs> he's up there I mean I'd imagine it's, I'd want to say somebody like Portier or something like that from, right. from that era right. I, I would have to look it up as well if he if he did direct anything mm-hmm, like exactly that. someone of that, of that stature I couldn't call it off my head but I'm sure there was someone but uh, the way that he was unapologetically black with his presentation I think is definitely a first right and what, what clicked also was another highly influential director was the Hughes brothers right you know that was very but I guess you could that's off his tree so yeah man he's pretty influential well yeah so yeah John Singleton directed Boys in the Hood and the Hughes Brothers with, with Minister Society mm-hmm. um, and they continue to, to direct some great stuff uh, as well um, but I mean for you know as, for, as progressive as Hollywood is or is supposed to be <laughs> like the black presence in Hollywood still took forever it's still taking forever like you had a Oscar So Black was like that protest at the Oscars was like mm-hmm. two or three years ago or something mm-hmm yeah, I mean, it's just it's a little ironic that Hollywood's taken so long. I mean, Black Panther came out in 2018. That seemed to be kind of a shift. Oh yeah, uh, as well to where you got you know first black superhero movie. It made was that a billion break, dollars. That breakdown of that myth. Oh well, if we if a black man stars in it or a black actor actress stars in it, then they then they won't come out to see it. And so that's what uh, Black Panther broke the myth. And show that, yeah, you can't, I mean, obviously, but right now you're not able to even say that anymore because there's actual statistical data. Hollywood just, it. just took forever on these things, even though the people who knew, knew that there was a ton of money to make on They still wouldn't do it forever. Like, Why do you, What do you think that might be attributed <laughs> to? I have no idea. I mean, 
some things I'll, you know, give an opinion on. Some things it's like, I don't want to speculate until, I unless I, I've read something or I, I got some type of insight. So That makes sense. I don't want to just say racism as an answer to everything. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I feel you. Um, we could, but uh, I don't know. I don't know, but it's a great... I mean, we have Moonlight that just won Best Picture a couple mm-hmm. years ago. Um, uh, we have uh, 12 Years a Slave. Mm-hmm. So Barry Jenkins and... Um, I forget the... Uh, Moonlight director's name. Oh, no, no, no. It's uh, Steve McQueen directed 12 Years Slave and Barry Jenkins directed Moonlight. Okay. Um, and then you have, of course, uh, the Black Panther <clears throat> Black Panther director, um, Ryan Coogler. Mm-hmm. So things are changing a little bit. Now, uh, we'll get to Five Bloods in, in a minute here. Okay. That said, we've just said men's names. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. still, you know, black women in Hollywood is still a big thing. Uh, Ava DuVernay mm-hmm. uh, is probably like the biggest star. Um, oh yeah. And there are some more up and comers that that I've that I've seen like in passing, but um, things seem to be kind of changing a little bit in Hollywood, which is which is long to do. Thanks for listening. I don't know where you're listening. Could be on Spotify, Apple, Amazon Music. Check out Good Pods, which is an indie podcast platform that we really like. Go to Good Pods on your phone. Subscribe to Talking Black Art there. You can also subscribe to Self Poor. What we got, man? What we got? Go to YouTube. Talking Black Art on YouTube. Search it. It's there. TikTok under All Sweet Collection. It's there. Video of us, Corey and I. Back to the show. Let's get into the film. Let's get into the characters. We have uh, Delroy Lindo plays Paul. Oh my goodness. He <laughs> killed that so hard, man. So you that thought. He's a beast. I love him and I love the way he played that role. Yeah. What about you? It was, I mean, it was so dramatic. Like mm. every single scene mm-hmm. that sometimes I was just like, all right, man. Like, I hear you. Like, but I think Spike didn't. He wasn't going for like hyper realism in this movie. No, it was like, and that's why when I rewatch it, that's what I realized. Because at first I was like, oh, that's kind of corny. Like, there's just like I agree. so much, so I agree. much. Like, I agree. can we pace it a little bit? It like, was, there were build ups to emotional scenes. It was just like emotional scene, emotional scene, emotional scene. Deliberate is what was the idea that kind of yeah. came to me. It was like a little over deliberate with a lot of the presentation of different things. Like with the facts, they were really putting real rich facts in there, but it was just like, right. <laughs> it was just like, ah, okay, yeah, that's cool <laughs> so on uh, second viewing though I like I loved it you like that, I just that rhythm in my head. okay so I was like oh give me like the historical flashes and like it's able to kind of conceptualize a little more or, like the fact that each scene was so emotional I was like I'm fine with that the second time it's like okay. they're, they're trying to act their ass off you know mm-hmm. um, so uh, yeah Delroy I mean we'll talk a lot about uh, about Paul um, his character uh, let's see next we have Otis who's played by Clark Peters if you haven't seen the movie and don't want to spoil, go watch it and come back and see us. So Otis is the uh, he's addicted to opioids. He's kind of like the uh, or is he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah right. is he or isn't he? Yeah, he, he's a good guy. He's oh, a really yeah. good guy. Oh yeah, um, really sweet, genuine guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's kind of this the rock of the. Yeah, group. I was just about to say. Yeah, if the, he if I trusted someone out of the out of the guys that were the in remaining story, he would probably be the one that I would go with. And since we're spoiling, we'll, we'll just talk about everything. So, um, I mean, he's the one that makes it out at the end mm-hmm. of the film. So mm-hmm. that, that in itself shows that he's kind of the, the anchor. Yeah. Um, he's a good guy. He has a, uh, 
he has a daughter with someone who was at the time a prostitute, but uh, during the Vietnam War, but is uh, seems to be successful. I forget what she does in the film, but she's doing well for herself now. Yeah, I don't remember her exact yeah. occupation either, other than what she helped them do. And he has a uh, he finds out he has a daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a reminder that we need a lot more half black, half Asian uh, women in in film. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Totally agreed. She was you. That character. That casting. Son of a. What the heck? Thank you. Who what is that heck? person? I mean, well, I'll tell. I'll say who she is. <laughs> Sandy Huang Pham. Uh-huh. So she is Vietnamese. Straight yes. Up. Yes. And she Let's has a thick accent for sure. But the way that she looked. Like she was their daughter. Like she looked like a mix of those two people in oh, a that. phenomenal manner to me. That's what I was referring gotcha. to. What were you talking about? Oh, just said like, I'm just like, I guess, what is the population of Vietnamese black actresses oh, that speak fluent Vietnamese? Like, sheesh. Where do you, it just seems like a very small percentage. Yes. Maybe it's maybe it's not. I, I, it's I, probably not, but it's not tapped into often. I haven't seen it in a film before. Exactly, so exactly. Yeah. Um, oh, this is her first. Oh, he straight up discovered her. Mm-hmm. It's her only film. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, the casting man, I, th- I think, was top notch. I think that was one of the better aspects of the film. For I me. agree. I agree. Yeah, and we'll go through uh, kind of what we thought was good and bad. Those are two of the five bloods. Next up is Norm Lewis, who plays Eddie. He's the uh, pigeon toe dude who uh, owns some uh, car dealerships. Supposed to be the wealthy successful capitalist of the group uh but we learn later that that's not the case anymore are you familiar with him at all no should we look up his name oh, oh that's up to you yeah man i just kept looking at him and i kept being like is this guy actually black because i don't know if it was the lighting or what what it was something about the way that he looked because they did have a strange lighting i know did you notice that like when the helicopter was falling, it was like super hyper green or something like that. They oh, were okay. kind of using some kind of technical thing. Messed with the hues and different scenes. Well, when it went to the flashbacks, I think mm-hmm. they, they did that. Yeah, yeah, but some about that dude's uh, complexion and that lighting, man, I was just like, is that actually a black man? And I had to actually look it up. Of <laughs> so I'm kind of embarrassed, but I'll let it be known. <laughs> them old eyes. Uh, next up. Isaiah Whitlock Jr., who plays Melvin. I love this guy. Yeah. Uh, he was in The Wire, right? Have mm-hmm. you seen The Wire? Wait, was he in The Wire? Maybe not. Oh, he was in Veep. I think that's my. that might be where I saw him. <laughs> okay, cool. He's a good actor. He's got a lot of... He's got a nice little catalog right like there, him. boy. I like him a lot. But yeah, he did what that well, that role well, for sure. Um, he, uh, he was kind of the... Oh, we didn't say... So, Eddie, like... He was... Uh, Pretty normal character. I mean, I don't even know how to describe Eddie's personality. He's kind of a nice, calm dude. Again, he's kind of supposed to be the, be the rich guy of the group. When he first pulls up, what I got off of Eddie, because I see a lot of things through this, like, I don't know, I guess you could say racial lens or something like that, because I'm always studying that kind of stuff. But uh, when they all pulled up in the reunion at the, uh, the hotel, the I, he caught my eye because of how he was dressed. I thought that kind of was really a good nod towards like the non-monolithic voice of of the black culture, which I think right. they did a great thing yeah. job of illustrating that through the whole movie. But that really caught my eye instantaneously. Like, oh, okay, I see. We're gonna we're gonna actually portray, you know, because first, you, well, I'll, I'll we'll talk about the movie when we get to the movie. But no, yeah, okay, I think he did. Um, yeah, that's a great point about uh, the the um, uh, non-monolithic. I don't know if we're gonna phrase it. Uh, <laughs> 
the variety, the diversity uh-huh. in um, their kind of just lives. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't mention that Delroy is wearing a MAGA hat. Oh, and <laughs> that's what I call his character. I could actually call him Delroy. MAGA. So Paul, Paul, Paul. Paul's wearing Paul, a MAGA hat. Yeah. And uh, he wants to build a wall, and he uses ethnic slurs, and like <laughs> he's like literally a racist white dude in in a black yeah, man's body. He's, and Candace, he's the Candace Owens of the movie. Bang, bang, <laughs> right on the head. And he's also like losing his mind. But yes, as he loses his mind, and he becomes kind of like a danger to the group. And he's all over the map mm-hmm. with his son talking about how much he loves him and how much he hates him and never wants him to. Like he's just he's like. Bipolar. I think that is a, a very prevalent voice too in the in the black community too, especially like in the South. Oh, interesting. Me growing up, my my pops is from kind of that generation. He went to Vietnam. He was born in 1940, and so I kind of really have a, a lens into that generation or whatever. And there's a lot of those men who come back from that and they have difficulty displaying their emotions like identically. They did a, a brilliant job of illustrating that characteristic of they're not all like MAGAs, right. but that PTSD and struggle to show intimacy to their children and, and family is is a real issue in the community. And though. just, you know, the bipolarity mm-hmm. um, of love and hate. Yeah, like, of just being like... And, and then the, the way the son was like... I, I know. I mean, you got a weird way of showing it, but I know you love me. You know what I mean? That yeah. kind of it's it was an interesting dynamic and, and a well it illustrated the way they showed that. It's pretty uh, rough uh, topic. That's um that's good to know. I mean, that certainly adds to the complexity of the character. Mm-hmm. So as we jump around, let's get back to a uh, <laughs> character <laughs> character development. Uh, so we talked about Eddie a little bit. Uh, yeah. So Isaiah Whitlock Jr. is Melvin. Uh, I loved Melvin. Uh, I love that actor. His uh, he was kind of the comic relief, mm-hmm. I'd mm-hmm. say, of the group. Um, the way he dies at the end too was pretty incredible when he jumps on the uh, grenade. And did you remember the uh, they did a uh, what do you call that foreshadow? Mm-hmm. Did you catch that? Mm-hmm. So at the beginning they're talking and they do one of those historical blurps of this guy who jumps on a grenade. Oh, and he's like, "I love y'all, but I'm not, I wouldn't do that." And then he ends up doing it at the end of the movie. I thought that was pretty cool that they put that together. Yeah. Like that. So. Those are the uh, those are the four living bloods. The fifth blood, who died in the Wakanda. Vietnam War. Wakanda forever. Chadwick Boseman and Stormin Norman. I love Chadwick in this movie. He's obviously not in it too much, but um, just what a great actor, man! I'm just excited that I'm excited for him and his career. And he has like, if you look at his IMDb, he has like five movies coming out. I mean, mm-hmm. dude, it's hot. It's mm-hmm. like as can be, and he deserves it. He's a great actor. So every time he was on the screen. I was like, uh, I was captivated. Sure, um, agreed. The six proudly character, and again, we got all men here, and uh, there's really no women representation in this movie. Mm-hmm. We, we'll, we'll talk about that. Okay. Uh, the six characters in the movie quite a bit is uh, Jonathan Majors plays David. He's Paul's son. Um, he's a teacher at Morehouse, so he kind of represents the new millennial kind of oh, educated sh- person, and um, I thought he was fantastic, too. Mm-hmm. I need mean, to mm-hmm. come see what he's done. Um, any thoughts on... on Storm and Norman or uh, or David, the the two younger. Uh, not too much on Storm and Norman, other than you know uh, Chadwick Boseman is a phenomenal actor and he played that role to the T, and it was an interesting character, of as far as like a black Vietnam hero, you know that's really kind of nuanced for me, anyways. You know as far as 
not being a glorifier of of war, but also being a recognizer of you know the situation that especially the oppressed were in in that in that time as far as trying to go to war so they could come back and have more right. rights. Right. And so it's it's pretty dynamic character. Um, yeah, he was a real leader mm-hmm. in this film. He see they straight up said he was their Malcolm and their mm-hmm. their Martin and um. So all the scenes, I mean. Those scenes, that was that's the thing. Those scenes weren't corny at all to me. The scenes that he had, okay. or some of some of the other ones might be a little bit, but like those, I was just like captivated every time he was talking in this movie. Um, that's like a character, that like, cause like, oh yeah, like I want to be like this too. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like some people like really do inspire you um, yeah. in their roles. Um, so Jonathan Majors, to stick with the characters in the film, mm-hmm. or the actors in the film, is uh, a Yale School drama graduate. What else has he been in? Jungle Land, Guilty, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. I haven't seen that yet. I have not either. I heard that was really good. I might watch that next. I don't think I've seen any of his joints. He's relatively new. I think, uh, oh, White Boy Rick. What was that, like a uh, Matthew McConaughey movie? Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't watch it, though. I'm guessing this was his breakout role in uh, Last Black Man in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Wow, so this guy's really kind of an up-and-comer, too. Okay. That's, that's Spike for you, though. You know, he's going to put the legends with the up-and-comers. Right. We'll move on to theme here in a second. Uh, the most prominent female character in the movie is the uh, French woman who mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. kind of a love interest of David's. And um, she's there defusing bombs in Vietnam. Those characters were there to obviously represent kind of the French influence in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. It was neat how Spike, you know, the, the main characters were the Vietnamese, the French, and African-American, mm-hmm. right? I liked that kind of triangle dynamic, and you know that those played in a lot of different scenes where he had all three of those dynamics mm-hmm. going. Any opinion on there not being a big uh, role for a black woman in this movie? Do you think people will say anything about that? Do you, do you did you care? Or did you think about? I that? personally didn't, but I still have much growing to do in my understanding. <laughs> of feminism before I get ripped to hell on Twitter I definitely understand I have a lot of growing to do but when I came into the film that's not what I was looking for because it was about the five bloods and you know there's not it's just historically inaccurate you know to try to force it into the situation there's definitely room to have put that in there but I didn't uh, feel that it took away from the reality of the situation yeah and I mean it's about the Vietnam War there weren't really any women over there Um, you know the women that were I mean, there might have been like flashes of maybe some of their mothers or wives, just like real quick scenes in mm-hmm. terms of any black women representation in the movie. But um, yeah, interesting. Uh, More I think on it, there definitely was room for that. You know, they yeah, could, totally because they have. were coming back. You know, and as they're coming back, if the son can come back, then there's definitely room for right. someone else. Maybe if and that's always welcome. You know, it's always a good idea if you can put more people of color in film, especially women and, and trans people, that's, that's a good idea. Thanks for checking out TBA. You can find us in a few different places. Go to Instagram at All Swede Collection. That's A-H-L-S-W-E-D-E Collection. We're on Twitter at All Swede Collect. We're on Medium at allsweedcollection.medium.com. We have blogs. We've written about some of the issues we talk about here today. So go on over, follow, comment, rate, all that. Back to the show. So at the beginning of the film, 
they Spike just really does. I mean, the film just starts with Muhammad Ali talking about how he doesn't want to go go to war mm-hmm. right? or how he doesn't go to war. Um, Protest the Vietnam War, he gets arrested. It's a big kind of moment in American history. I'll just list off all the stuff that that he shows in like that first. Minute oh, from or the two. montage, yeah. It's like twenty things. Mm-hmm. And then if anything kind of jumps out to you um, that you're interested in, you can just say uh, we have Ali in Vietnam, um, which gets into that really the whole theme of the movie, which is black men fighting in American wars, and that starts from the Civil War when you know people are escaping the South to go fight for the North because that was their way to starts with Christmas Attics. Okay, so yeah, I'm not a huge history buff, dude. So they bring that up in the movie as well. They kind of that was one of their blurps. Crispus Attucks was the first man to die in the Revolutionary War oh. for America. Yeah, so they brought that up as well. But yes, yeah, you you were hit it on the head though about it just being about blacks fighting for America. You right. know, what I mean, and they kind of were like, we've been fighting for America since the be- we right. first ones to die for this country, and we've been dying in every war ever since. Is kind of what I saw. They're illustrating. It's a smart, um, it's a smart kind of starting point if you want to talk, like begin with like kind of the hypocrisies or the injustices of, um, of being black in America. Yeah, it kind of illustrates that wake up moment too, because I was that moment of the '70s where where black folks kind of came into their own as far as starting to regain momentum towards civil rights after the breakdown of Reconstruction and all that. They kind of rebuilt themselves back up and were ready to get back in the fight type mm-hmm. of situation where protests and, and all that stuff started really getting more activity and momentum. Right. Yeah, they showed, I mean, they showed the the riots after Martin Luther King mm-hmm. Jr. dies and said something like 122 cities. There were riots. Like, you look at that and I mean, you know, George Floyd, I think it, he... What hit about that was not just it was the straw that broke the camel's back, but it was like the manner of it. And, you know, with MLK, he was so he was such a profound public figure and leader that I guess it would make more sense for there to be more violent riots over that. What my hope what I'm getting at is there haven't been a ton of violent riots that have been taking place now during these protests. Right. And I guess I just wonder if. There would be more violence if the person who died was like a, a more prominent kind of social leader. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I imagine so. I think it largely has to do also towards uh, ev- evolution of policing. <laughs> you know, they're kind of more militaristic now than they were yeah. then, where they were like attaching fire hoses to the thing. Where now they got all kinds of rubber bullets and oh. sound things and all kind of different devices to where it's just that much more difficult to really have that much of a violent uprising you know oh today. so you, you think the militarization of the police is what's preventing more violence and destruction yeah because interesting I think, I think people were equally as upset to because everybody was fed up with the covids this is all speculation and conjecture <laughs> but from my perspective everybody was fed up with sitting at home from the sip shelter in place and then we all were forced to sit home and watch that. And there were no sports. There was nothing else to really talk about. Yeah. So I think the anger was pretty similar to when MLK was murdered. I mean, also because you think about it, when MLK was murdered, he wasn't really that beloved. 
You know, he was he had a low. By the that's black when, community? I mean, by the black community, for the most part, he was. But the, even in the black community, there was there was split because there was, you know, the the militants. Right. And then there was the, the peaceful pro or peaceful protesters. However, right. I want to explain them. So there was that split. And then in the white community, he might have had less approval than George Floyd has in the white community. You see where I'm coming yeah. from as far as like white people didn't really like him at that time. Where now. Though George Floyd may have had a checkered past and was a human being and wasn't a perfect person, more white people today are willing to see that and say, he's a human being and accept yeah. his humanity. That's a great point. So if it's a more prominent figure, that means that that person, a political figure, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't even know if there is, you know, there's not really one person like that, I don't think, in the black community today, like one prominent political figure right it's it's really more diverse now. it's pretty split up there's a yeah. lot there's a, i mean there's a lot of intelligent people you can go to sure great voices mm -hmm. right um and uh but yeah but when if you're political now that means you have a whole group of people that don't like you mm -hmm. so now they're going to be more angry at a protest or riot right so then the white backlash to this today relatively has not been bad at all it's mm -hmm. been i mean you have like you have an example of everything i mean sure. everything exceptions to every happens. rule yeah but um in general it's like it does feel like the the white response to this is you know maybe it's kind of an obvious point is far more um introspective and accepting than it was in 1968 oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah definitely so I mean, but it's an interesting dynamic when you start saying if he was more prominent, if George Floyd was more like an MLK, what would that look like? I think it still would translate to your original equation as far as it would be a higher outrage, you know, yeah. if, if he was actually even I mean, because this was because he was a human being. But if he was a human being and beloved by the community yeah. or, or multiple communities, because he was actually beloved by his community right. in Houston, for sure. Um. Yeah, so the response would have been probably stronger, more violent, and the backlash would have been stronger, more violent. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, the fact is that he, you know, people in these situations, they turn into martyrs. Mm -hmm. And it's like, they didn't ask for it, though. So I feel, it feels a little insensitive or fucked up to, to call people who were killed by cops that, but... In effect, that's what they become. Kind of like after the fact, they become that. Yeah, it's like a fact of life yeah. type of situation. And he, um, yeah, for some of those reasons that we just said and others, I mean, this might just be like the right balance of, <laughs> I don't know, it almost sounds insensitive to even talk about it in this way. It's like it's not respecting that man's life because we're just talking about kind of the effect that his death had or how important his death is, you know what I'm saying, or how influential uh, his death is. Um I hear that. I mean, I think his son, there's, didn't his son, like he was, his uncle was holding his son, he said, like, dad, he changed the world. Yeah. Yeah, that was Stephen Jackson, which was like his, his God, his son's godfather, Stephen Jackson from the NBA. He knew Stephen Jackson? Yeah. Because every, I mean, I thought, like, they look alike, or his brother looks, George Floyd's brother looks a lot like Stephen Jackson. I was wondering if they were Yeah, like, they were like best friends, or like really, really good friends. And so, yeah, Stephen has been really on the forefront of trying to help out the family and, and, guide the narrative and things of that nature hmm. but yeah he was a prominent figure in Houston like if you look at I forget what the video was he's like in music videos and stuff like that really yeah. well he was in Minneapolis 
Yeah, but he's from Houston, okay. so he's like a prominent Houston figure where a lot of people out there really know him, and he was pretty well-beloved. Yeah, Minneapolis is such a, it's really kind of a surprisingly diverse place um, to people who've never been there. I mean, you have like... I've never been. You have, I don't know the stats, but I mean, you have a relatively big African-American population. I think like there's some specific countries that migrated there, like Eritrean... Mm-hmm. And um, some other African countries, and uh, you know, yeah, people like Ilhan Omar, who's a who's a mm-hmm. congressperson there. Um, so yeah, I mean, usually you know, when I think it, most people think of Minnesota, I think they just think like white people playing hockey. But um, now it's become kind of the, the epicenter. Is that see? That's how little I know about Minneapolis. I know it's the yeah. Twin Cities, and it's the other Twin. St. Paul's the other one. St. Yeah, yeah. Paul. I was about to answer that and just ruin that. For me. That's good, <laughs> but we're good. Okay, I'll continue here. Uh, the tangents are good, though. All right, so he uh, mentions Malcolm, of course. Neil Armstrong is brought up at the beginning. I think out of the you know fifteen different figures, I don't know exactly how he was tying that into civil rights. I'm not figuring that one either. I, I think it? it had to do with like spending money on space exploration instead of putting it into the community. I think that's what why that was included in there. I will not be able to speculate because there was so much going on. I imagine there is like it was in a chronological order of a situation. Yeah, of, yeah, of, yeah, of yeah. A yeah. Story that's what it was. or whatever. So I imagine it was something that would happen right before that scene and right after that. If I saw those two scenes, and I would be better to probably. Well, there was, he showed, there's one quick scene where it shows somebody holding a sign that says, like, it costs $12 a day to feed an astronaut, there you $8 go. a day there to you feed a uh, That explains it. A homeless person or something. So, yeah, talking about priorities of spending, mm-hmm. I see. Uh, so, we have Tommy Smith and John Carlos at the Olympics. Um, Kwame Toure, which I, I forget who. Black who Panther. Was. Or, no, he wasn't a Black Panther. It was, uh, maybe it was Snick. But yeah, he was a black uh, activist from the from the Black Panther days. Um, so on that note, activist activism mm-hmm. is that it seems like that maybe some people in the community online are starting to give you that moniker. Is, is that true? And if so, how does that make you feel? I think anyone who is actively doing any social justice I, that justice term is a struggle is a struggle for <laughs> yeah. me because there's got to be something more concise but I'll, I'll change that when I come up with it does it seem kind of absurd if, if somebody calls you that in the community or is it something that you take seriously or that that it's important or that has some type of power in itself or if people call me an activist <laughs> I definitely take that seriously and like it, it puts this honor in my heart of like okay because I've been doing the same thing for a long time but when other people acknowledge that they're paying attention, then that kind of makes it be like, okay, then I'm responsible for these people. And it just kind of builds up the the, the understanding of the responsibility, I guess. Because mm-hmm. sometimes if I'm out here just by myself and it feels like no one's looking, I might get a little slop- <laughs> sloppier with it, you know what I mean? Because I'm just trying to figure it out. Blah, blah, blah. But then I'm like, if I got a, a boat behind me that's dependent on what I got going on, then I kind of take it a little bit more... Uh, Measured, yeah. No, that's a great point. I, I, the next question I was going to ask was, you know, what what is an activist in twenty twenty? But I think you just answered it. It's just 
<laughs> just means that people are paying attention <laughs> to what you're saying. That's all. I don't know. I don't even think anybody needs to be paying attention to what you're saying. I think if you're just being active, you know, I think that's being an activist. If you're actively, you know, approaching a problem of, of, of what you see, what you see as a problem in the world, then you're an activist. But that's just my personal uh, definition of it. It's great. Um, Marvin Gaye was the kind of the soundtrack of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, any uh, Marvin Gaye memories or feelings or stories from, from your life personally? Man, going to baseball practice, my dad would always play, you know, the oldies. And Marvin Gaye was high high on that list for sure. So, yeah, whenever that comes up, that's kind of what comes to mind. And side note also just about the movie, as, I, as my dad comes up, uh, it was Father's Day when I happened to be watching it. And I didn't even know what the movie was about. I just had friends telling me, oh, yeah, Five Bloods on Netflix, Five Bloods on Netflix. I was like, okay. And then uh, I happened to, so I started watching it and I realized it's a Vietnam movie. That was his favorite. And so I thought that was really ironic and interesting. Cool, cool. Did he, did he pass away? Yeah, he passed away. Uh, it's been two and a half years now, yeah. Um, and you said your grandfather was in Vietnam or he was? He was. He my, was. My dad, yeah. He was born in 1940. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I'm adopted, so he... He actually didn't birth me particularly, but he okay. he raised me. So yeah, he was twenty something in the civil rights movement. You know, wow. so he's seen a lot. And uh, was I mean the the story you always hear is that nobody ever talks about their time over there. Did he talk to you about? He it? did not. Yeah. He did not. I never really asked. And as he passed, I'm like, man, why didn't I ask more questions? Well, yeah. you know, in hindsight, I was like, oh, why didn't I do this? But yeah. yeah. So no, nah, we never really talked about it. But he loved, like I said, he loved like war movies and Westerns and stuff like that. And he wasn't really the type to be like, oh, you know, have like wild flashbacks and things like that in a negative manner. For the most part, man, there might've been like one or two over 30 years. Right. right. I'm trying to remember. My, my, my dad was a... Um was a Vietnam War protester, so we were in Maryland, D.C. area. Okay. So he was like on the you know Capitol steps protesting. Um, so I remember him showing me um, kind of photos of that at a young age too, which got me on that <laughs> kind of uh, philosophy. You know, at a young age, kind of an anti-war mm-hmm. person. And my mom's side of the family was all that. My my grandpa was in the World War Two, and but he was part of Veterans for Peace. So. Um, I guess I kind of come from a from an anti-war uh, activist family too. My grandpa used to march a lot in Veterans for Peace marches. Um, yeah, when my dad came back, he was anti-war yeah. by the time, so he was like, "Don't do, don't, <laughs> don't go doing none of that stuff because they don't give a damn about you." Type, yeah, that kind of personality. So he's kind of he probably would would have been interested in joining like a Veterans for Peace. Oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah, but he was kind of like. To himself, he was the most lovingest dude, but he wasn't. He was not an activist. Gotcha. You know? He was like a just a community dude, love his neighbors and try to deal with his neighbors and things like that as much as possible, and just show love in, in the, his immediate surroundings. But as far as like really getting dug into anything political, yeah. he was he wasn't that guy. Gotcha, gotcha. So um, we'll continue with this list uh, of stuff that Spike flashed at the beginning of the movie. Uh-huh. Um, uh, he brings up Agent Orange. Mm-hmm. Um, Agent Orange gets referenced at the end of the film mm-hmm. when 
Paul uh, reveals, he does these really cool shots where he's talking directly to the camera, mm-hmm. kind of these monologues directly to the Side camera. Tribes, yeah. And uh, he reveals it that he's been diagnosed, like subtly reveals that he was been diagnosed with cancer, mm-hmm. malignant. And uh, he's talking about how it's a, it's a result of that Agent Orange, and it's just it's a powerful scene. Um, um, and it's just a fact of you know the war and what happened to a lot of people and if it didn't kill you right away then uh, a lot of people still got cancer from what they were exposed to and you know Paul was speaking about that from a black man's perspective and just kind of adds to the <laughs> you know they, they, they made him malignant I think is what he says mm. um, just, uh, just a one, one more sacrifice to throw into the mm-hmm. into the pot